I am Raymond Jetson, and I am wonderfully 65. You know, 65 for the men who were part of, of, of my youth was retirement. And unfortunately uh, for so many of them, they didn't live many years after that point in time. Uh, my, my dad died at 54. And so the privilege of living to the age of 65 came with an obligation for me to my ancestors, to my family, and, and, and to my community. Work is not something I wake up uh, and go to each day. The work for me is living out my purpose. It, it, it is about how do I make a deposit and an investment in the lives and communities that are around me. That's Raymond Jetson, Chief Executive Catalyst at Metromorphosis, a nonprofit based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Raymond has had a long and storied career, but he doesn't feel bound by the traditional rules around retirement. Raymond wants to keep working because it creates purpose in his life. As we live longer, more and more of us reaching the age 100, we may find ourselves in the same boat as Raymond. But right now, he's the exception more than the rule as Americans quit their jobs in record numbers. COVID has driven many people to stare at the mirror and ask hard questions. What do I value in life? What do I want from work? And how do I balance work with my commitments to take care of my family, my community, and myself? These are the questions of the pandemic, but they're also the questions of longer life. As we live and work longer, can we find new ways to better accommodate the competing pressures of our life? From the Stanford Center on Longevity, Century Lives is here to start the conversation. I'm your host, Ken Stern. This season on the podcast, we ask what would a century-long life look like if we do more than just inherit the rules of the past? If we're able to reimagine how we live, how we learn, how we work, and how we take care of each other. If we could draw a new map of life. Today, we're joined by Raymond Jetson, his colleague Sharita Harrison, and Andrew Scott, an economist and professor at the London Business School. Here's Andrew. You know, where we are right now is interesting with COVID because COVID has been this accelerant and a stress test. And because of new technologies, many people have been able to carry on working during lockdown. Obviously not everyone. You know, Those involved in face-to-face -face jobs haven't, and that's been a challenge because often they're low income and there's a vulnerability there. But what we're all then wrestling with is how to work from home. Many see this as a revolution, but in a way it's a return to how we used to work before industrialization. Before the Industrial Revolution, work was sort of done in the home. You know, you were a, a farmer or a cottage, and there was no distinction between work and leisure. There probably wasn't leisure. There wasn't a distinction between the place of work and where you lived. It was just all mingled together. And then suddenly with the factory, you have a place of work and you have working hours and then you define leisure. And so we separated out work and life, if you like. And now, of course, we're just blending it all together again. And I think that's kind of an interesting observation for the future because we have a technology that enables us to work differently. The combination of COVID and technology has encouraged many to challenge established ways of working. But Andrew has long believed that a longer lifespan provides the opportunity to reorder how we live. 
one of the key things about longevity is recognizing it's actually about time. It's about having more time, longer life. And so therefore how we deal with it is about how we deal with that extra time. And time is a social convention. We rearrange time to make it work best for us. In the 20th century alone, we invented the two-day weekend and teenagers. And then, of course, the other great invention of the 20th century was retirement. We added these years of life where people could live independently, financially secure, and they didn't have to work or be dependent on others for, for charity. And that's a tremendous invention. And with that, you had the three-stage life. This model of a three-stage life, education until your late teens or early 20s, work at one or two organizations until 65, and then retirement has been held up as a simple life model to follow. But the reality is, our lives are so much more complex. Take Raymond. My life took a, a fateful turn uh, in uh, 1982. I was living in Phoenix, Arizona. I came back to Baton Rouge, Louisiana for what I thought was a single year uh, to help my father uh, as he pursued a, a, an elective office, the Louisiana House of Representatives. Raymond became his father's campaign manager. And to the surprise of many, we actually won the campaign. Uh, my father asked me to hang around to help him set up the office. Uh, I was ready to go back to, uh, to, to, to Phoenix because as I describe it to folks, I uh, was 27. I was sharing a house at the base of a mountain range with a sun deck on the roof, swimming pool in the backyard, driving a convertible, and I was single. I needed to get back to Phoenix really quickly. But my father asked me to help set up his office. He became ill. Six months later, he dies. Raymond's mother asked him to finish out the rest of his father's term at the Louisiana House of Representatives, where he ended up serving just short of four terms. Somewhere along that line, I became responsive to what I believed I should have been doing a number of years before uh, and accepted my call to, to, to ministry, went to seminary, got a graduate degree in seminary, became the pastor of the church that I grew up in while serving in the Louisiana House of Representatives. With term limits approaching, Raymond decided to leave the legislature. He opened other chapters in his life at the Department of Health and Hospitals, at a nonprofit created in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, and then eventually to the founding of Metromorphosis. Life isn't straightforward, and we all need to take ramps off and then back on to the main road, whether it's to accept unexpected opportunities, to be a caregiver, to further one's education, or simply to recharge. Faced with this reality of a multi-stage life, we're starting to let go of a three-stage ideal. We're already seeing some challenges because retiring at 60, if you're living to 90 or 100, wow, that's a long time. Can you afford it? Are you going to get bored? What are you going to do? How do you keep active? So we're already seeing retirement begin to change. People doing things differently during it and working longer. Um, but we're also seeing, of course, changes throughout life. We're seeing adult development take longer. So there's now extra years kind of being added up beyond teenagers where, uh, you know, people don't take on those traditional markers of adult life, children, uh, house, family till, till later. And then I think you're also seeing something change in the middle as well. Uh, and that's still a bit more flexible and a bit more varied. That middle part, it's the stage of life we usually associate with a densely packed career. But Andrew argues that if we'll be living longer, 
will also be working longer, to finance our lives, to stay active, to have a sense of purpose. And that means we'll also need to work differently. Our concept of work is going to change dramatically. You know, one of the things that we're going to have to do in our extra leisure time that we get is spend some of it in a, as a way working, not necessarily for the payment, but working by investing in your future self. It could be literally working out at the gym, interesting use of the word. It could be learning something. It could be experimenting. But I think work's going to be a much broader sense than just a job. Sharita Harrison agrees. She works with Raymond Jetson at Metromorphosis, where she serves as the sustainability catalyst. And to her, work doesn't begin and end with business hours. There is not a part of my life, I think, that does not inform or contribute to the work that I'm doing. And so in my mind, I am never not working because I am always thinking about and considering the organization, even as I prioritize myself and my mental well-being. Because prioritizing myself and my mental well-being is also how I contribute to the work in the community. And so this idea that work and, 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 and life are different is just an old notion that I really think we need to let go of because that's just not true. The evolution of work, the breakdown of norms, means that there is a personalization of work experiences. Shreed has chosen one route. Others may seek careers that look quite different and change how we work. Because right now we're experiencing a period when work can begin and transition in any number of different ways. Take Andrew's son as an example. My, my middle child, uh, who was 21, just graduating from a good university, good degree in, in economics. Uh, and he said, Dad, I'm not going to get a job next year. And I was not pleased by that. I was anxious. I was anxious. Because when I graduated, if you took time out and then went to get a job, it was a problem. People would say, well, why didn't you get a job last year? You know, did you not know what you wanted to do? Is there something wrong with you? Did you fail to get a job? It was just a problem. And he said, Dad, it's not like that anymore. But Andrew knew better. He is, after all, a distinguished economist, professor at one of the best business schools in the world, and a keen observer of the ways of job and work. Of course, I had no idea what I was talking about because two, three years later, he gets on a graduate training program. He's the youngest member of the group. So it's, it's changing. It's already changing. And that forced me to think, well, why? And part of this is that with a longer life, you just don't need to commit so young. What's really important is, I think, to spend some of these years of a longer life working out who you are and what you want to do. Now, you know, I don't think you have to do that. It may be actually a longer life. You can start early, give up early and start to do something else. But it seems a really sensible thing to do. More and more workers are saying, I'm done. A record 4 million people quit their jobs in April, just as employers are facing labor shortages. It's what's being called the Great Resignation. The mass exodus comes as many companies are trying to get employees back into the office by the fall. So why are so many people leaving? Many of us have taken time during the quarantine to reflect on what we want from our lives and from work. And it seems what we want is flexibility, not just in where we work, but how we work. Do we want to switch jobs, maybe even switch industries? 
do freelance work, or maybe just prioritize our families. And it's not just because of COVID that we're asking these questions. With 40, 50 year careers, we'll be checking in with ourselves and our choices more frequently. So it all starts, I think, to change how you think about your relationship with work and yourself. Because in this longer life with more changes and transitions, it's not quite curating life, but there's a bit more of, of self-responsibility and agency about what am I getting from this? And I'm not in some very long-term relationship with a firm. So I think that, that then changes how you think about a career. And we have to start thinking about our careers, not just differently, but for longer. Sharita saw people in her life work for 30 years and then retire, but she can't imagine that life for herself. Recently, I have noticed that the age of 65 or certainly 55 is not the age that it was when I was, you know, a, a, a child. I'm 37 now. And the idea that in 20 years, I will somehow have worked enough, done enough, learned enough to just call it quits. I, I, I just don't think that is, um, I don't think that makes sense. And I don't think other people in my generation share that. For Gen X, Millennials, and Gen Z, the predictability their parents knew around work has already been upended. Multiple careers, multiple jobs, the gig economy, and side hustles. We're now living multi-stage lives where education, work, and rest are up for grabs at any moment, and where age is no longer a defining marker of where we are in our careers. If people are aging better, if health defines them less, or if there's just diversity in how people age, then age ceases to become the most important thing. But how does that then come down to thinking about careers? Well, you know, we have these wonderful titles like senior manager, and in a multi-stage life where you have many different career paths, you might be a senior manager at 30, 50 or 70. You could be an undergrad at 20, 40 or 60. Age ceases to become the key issue. That's going to be a massive change because we still think of age, linear career paths and hierarchy. And that leads to a great deal of age segregation and also a great deal of ageism. Reducing age as a primary organizing factor in our society can open up doors long closed for both younger ambitious workers and older workers who want to take on less responsibility or perhaps even go back for another degree. Longevity in the shifts we've seen since COVID began can already give the power of choice back to some individuals, but not everyone. Life expectancy is falling for some, not for the majority, but just for some. There's already a very, very big and inappropriate inequality. And that's a challenge. And we also know that the people who have got more education at the beginning of life are more likely to do education later in life. So we've got a situation where inequalities are compounding. And personally, I don't think that should be the case. I think the great advantage of a longer life is where you begin should matter less. You've got more opportunities to make up for initial misgivings. We've got more points to do intervention. Think of it as an upside down funnel. Inequities and opportunities at a young age are compounded and widened as we get older. Having access to only poor health care and education when you're young likely means that you'll miss out on this new era of work. For an economist like Andrew, this calls for solutions and investments reminiscent of how society took on infant mortality a century ago. To achieve that, you saw a massive public health agenda 
that made sure it was rolled out to everyone in society, that sanitation, health and education was provided to everyone. And that propelled a lot of economic growth. I think we'll do the same for people in their 50s now, because actually we've got to ensure that that widening health gap that starts in the 40s and 50s is reduced. So we've got to think too about this big program. And if we don't, we're failing to seize the advantages of a longer life, but also we're missing a massive economic longevity dividend. Because if we can keep people working for longer and healthier for longer, the benefits are enormous economically. So for me, this is incredibly important. Andrew acknowledges that it will take a while to get to a point where societies embrace longevity, not just culturally, but through policy. And he says examples in the culture can help us get to a greater familiarity with the transitions we're facing. But ultimately, I actually think what we really need is something like civil society. With the Industrial Revolution, we saw in the US and Europe, a labor movement emerge. We saw NGOs, charities emerge, the YMCA, the Salvation Army, all of which were there to try and bring about social change. And when they succeeded, governments would change the regulations and those institutions would sort of fade away a little bit. So I think that's what we can expect. Ray and Sharita aren't waiting to set an example of how to adopt this new age of work as employers. Ray is a baby boomer and Sharita is a millennial, and they've chosen to co-lead Metromorphosis, which is an organization that transforms neglected communities into thriving places to live and work. They had known each other for some time, but when they started working together, they decided to be very intentional about their work. And it shows from the moment their official working relationship began. In true Raymond Jetson fashion, he called and he said, I'd like to have a conversation with you. Um, and it, it, it's, it's never like, you know, I, I want to talk to you about X, Y, Z. It's I, I would like to have a conversation with you. So I, I was unsure of what he wanted to talk about. And so I said, okay, well, I'm boarding a plane headed to Atlanta. I get back later this evening. I'll give you a call. You know, he asked me, um, are you intending to make your impact in the community through education only? And we had a conversation about my plans and just not really being sure. And then he said, well, there's this potential opportunity um, if you are interested, but it, it really won't become available for another six to eight months. But we are being thoughtful about this and we're being thoughtful about the transition. And so if you are interested, we should continue these conversations. I, I don't know how she really received it, but I shared with her early on that we're not just working together, we're doing life together. Uh, and, 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 and so it's a bit more than just showing up here. And, and, and she came back the next day. She didn't run away after hearing that. We all now may have greater responsibility to curate our own careers, but employers like Metromorphosis can also be strategic about the changing nature of work. Ray and Sharita know that their employees are looking for a different kind of work relationship than previous generations, and they try their best to be thoughtful about each transition, including the biggest one we've all faced of late, COVID-19. I think that what the virtual, the shift to the virtual platform uh, did uh, was it caused us to ask a very important question. 
and a different question. I shared with our team early on that the question we needed to ask was not how do we move our work to virtual platforms? The question that we need to ask is in these circumstances, what is our work? And, 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 and that was, uh, I think, the seminal moment that has allowed us to remain productive and a lot more nimble and adaptive uh, because of the circumstances we face. Nimble and adaptive. It's a new goal for employees and employers alike, certainly because of COVID, but also because our economy and changing needs as a workforce demand it. I think we're likely to see firms allow more flexible working. Uh, I hope so, because that obviously enables us to combine family needs with working uh, and just a better balance if we get it right. Uh, I think that there's dangers in that. I think firms find it easy when everyone's in the office or when no one's in the office, but having a mixture in between is going to be really challenging. And I think, you know, this is this big challenge we've got for a long while. People have wanted firms to be more flexible in the workplace practices, but firms like standardization. So how can they learn to deal with the more flexible working practices and flexible working? The answer isn't clear yet. These days, new workers look out to their 40 or 50 year careers and see ups and downs, off ramps and on ramps to the highway of work. As our circumstances change, calling for a new degree, time away for child or elder care, or time off to re-examine our own goals, we will all need to find creative ways to structure our time while meeting our basic financial and healthcare needs. Employers can help. In the 20th century, you saw firms begin to offer corporate pensions. It's the money you get in retirement. And firms said, hey, that's great. I can recruit workers today for less than otherwise if I promise to pay them a pension later. And it was a great recruitment tool and a great retention tool. Then firms found, oh my goodness, people live no longer, I can't afford to do this. So we're seeing less and less coverage of corporate pensions. But there's another way in which I think firms can offer a sort of an updated version of the pension, which is that sort of, you know, you come to me and after a certain amount of time, you can perhaps work part-time for a while uh, and don't have to, you don't have to work full-time because you want to study or you want to raise kids or look after your parents or whatever it might be. Uh, or, you know, I pay for you after a certain number of time to go and do a course and to retrain. And these are all things that are, in, are valuable to people over, and maybe to do this change and this transition. But it's a more flexible path. So you can either try and create that yourself, or I think some of the better employers will start to standardize those, those processes. If working part-time for a while or getting another degree paid for by work seems like more burden on the shoulders of employers, Remember that companies and organizations are also asking more than they have before. With a blurring of the systematically placed work-life boundary, many employees are now glued to their phones on call 24-7. Here's Raymond. We are quite demanding of, of the people who work with us. I, I don't think that there's anybody on our team uh, who, who, would, who would say that that's not the case. Uh, but I'd also like to believe that, that we give a lot and, and that we also uh, have people who are passionate and committed to making a difference in the, in the world around us. And that doesn't happen without effort and, and without commitment uh, and without sacrifice. 
Uh, and so one of the things that I am really proud of at Metromorphosis is, uh, is that we provide uh, educational support to our team members. Uh, and we, we have team members who have finished undergrad degrees, who have worked on graduate degrees, who have secured or worked toward uh, MBA, and even won somebody uh, who is wrapping up a PhD program. It's really important to understand time and seasons, that there are these changes, and you know, you're not going to be doing this for 50 years. It's, it's highly unlikely. Uh, and so what are those credentials and what are those experiences that allow you to navigate world the world in a productive way, whatever that journey is for you? But why invest so much in employees who you know will not be staying with you for decades? Because we're not naive. We're at a time now where people are changing careers. You know, you don't go to work for 30 years at the same place. And so you don't have, you know, five to 10 years to make them sit on the sidelines and wait before they can contribute. And so we, for the organization to be sustainable, we have to be able to plan for that, right? And so we ask people, how, how long do you think you can commit? And if they say one year, if they say two years, you know, that kind of thing, then we plan for what their time with us looks like. But we also help people be thoughtful for what their time looks like after us. Because we know that if we can help people grow while they're with us, they'll they'll perform better. I think it's more frustrating when organizations are not aware of the changing world of work. And, and when they are not able to plan for and um, pivot in times of transition. As we experiment with how to retain employees and build new sustainable models of work, Andrew Scott argues that COVID has taught us that we also need to factor in the overall health of workers, whether they're 25 or 65. With a growing number of older people, you also can't have a healthy economy without a healthy population. So I, I think the issue of health and keeping people healthy, and of course, preventative health, because there's no point treating COVID when people are in hospital, you wanna try and stop them from getting into hospital. I, I have a feeling that that will also be a very big theme for firms and also uh, for governments. And I think that will impact the nature of work. And I think what's also been very interesting is thinking of health more widely than just physical mental health because of course you know you're here you're peering in the background of my house i've got the builders in it's chaos uh you know we're, we're all just that much more aware of what's been happening in the background and I, so I, I hope that we'll see some greater awareness on the part of firms around mental health uh, which is really important and of course has been sorely tested with last year Ray and Sharita also saw the need to address the mental health of their staff during the pandemic. The team was weighed down and tired. And so, you know, we responded to that. We, we added the number of days that people could use for paid time off. I think we added about 12 hours a month. We took a, a summer hiatus. We took a week off where um, people did not, could not access their emails so that they can have a week to just kind of step away from the work and return renewed. And so I think what we saw was just this, this need 
to to emphasize self-care and mental well-being among our team. As we go through more transitions in our longer lives and careers, it'll be imperative to treat each new challenge with flexibility, whether it's how to retain workers or how to support them during difficult periods. And we'll have to think intentionally about each new step as individuals, organizations, employers, and societies. But like Andrew cautioned earlier, it'll take time for the status quo around work to change. And it will also require government action. I mean, governments are really weird in my experience because they're, they're kind of really far-sighted. They make changes for 50, 100 years ahead. Then they're obsessed with Monday's headlines and the opinion polls. So there's this sort of weird split view and things, but they are making changes. They're, you know, they've already changed the state pension age and retirement age. I don't think they've realised they've actually got to do something in the labour market before fifth, from between 50 and state pension age. So I don't think they've yet awoken on skills, but they're beginning to. In the UK, firms are beginning to transform apprenticeship programs to target not just younger workers, but older ones as well, helping them build new skills. Singapore, too, is making investments in lifelong education and skill building of workers. Uh, you know, a, a growing interest in providing college courses for everyone. And they're wonderfully relaxed, actually, Singapore, about what people study, as long as they're studying something. So you get vouchers to do some stuff. So you know, Singapore is definitely leading the way. They've got a rapidly aging population, so they're thinking about what to do. Uh, they're also looking at how they design cities to make sure that older people get very easy access to healthcare, but also to financial advice and the ability to work. Something is happening. It's slow. Um, it's still being led by individuals, and it's still obviously being led by higher income individuals in the first place. But I do think you can sense change happening. We can already see a new era of work emerging, but the new rules are still hazy and uncertain. But some like Sharita Harrison are not waiting to redefine how they work over their own life course. I, I, I don't know that I ever imagined my life where I wouldn't be working or contributing in some kind of way. I do know that I, I I, I understood that it would change and it would not be maybe at the level or the intensity, but I don't know that I ever imagined not working. Retirement, I don't know, we, we might have to come up with a new word for what people will be doing, <laughs> um, you know, working for fun. I mean, I don't know, I don't know, <laughs> working for fun, but with pay. So I don't know what, you know, I don't know what that, that, that term is, but yeah, no, it's, it's not retirement as I understand it. What will retirement look like for Sharita come mid-century? Will 65 just be another date on the calendar as we work many more years to support longer life? Or will we have a more balanced, flexible approach to work that will support caregiving, volunteerism, or even, dare I say it, a shorter standard work week? Next season on the podcast, we're asking, do our current assumptions about work make sense in light of longer life and changing technologies? And whether the great resignation is the first salvo in a new work revolution. I hope you will join us then. Music for this episode was provided by Ramteen Arablui and Audio Network. An archival tape for this episode is from NPR and NBC. The producers of Century Lives are Kerry Thompson and Ava Ahmedbegi. Century Lives is a production of the Stanford Center on Longevity, where our mission is to support ideas and research so that century-long lives are healthy and rewarding ones. You can find out more about us at longevity.stanford.edu. 
Support for the Stanford Center on Longevity comes from the Annenberg Foundation, dedicated to addressing the critical issues of our time through innovation, community, compassion, and communication. Thanks for listening. I'm Ken Stern.